You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Future Friday. Today, I'm answering questions that I solicited from Instagram, and I'm joined by my fiance, Beth Ann Downey. She gets a couple of good ribs in at me. Uh, it's always fun. We are we are self-isolating here in my house after we got back from our Australian tour, and we decided that we are going to try to, uh, we're not try, we're going to make uh, good out of the situation. So we have this podcast we're doing together, and we're going to try to do a couple more. Um, so if you have any ideas, please feel free to get at me, Tom at futurefriday.net. I uh, want to send our deepest love and gratitude to you for listening, for supporting us at this time, and I want to know that I want you to know that you are not alone. So uh, until next time, talk to you soon. All right, it's recording. Hello, hello. Hello. Is yours working? Yeah. I think so. Thank you so much for joining me. I don't think I had a choice. No, not really. We're stuck here, quarantined in the house. You could like tiptoe around the room, I guess, but that wouldn't, you know, you might as well, you can't beat me, join me, you know? Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> this is the only fun I've had all week. <laughs> yeah, I really appreciate it. I was originally going to do this um, solo and just answer questions, but I've realized that it would be much more fun and easier to talk if, if I was doing it with somebody and you're here. So basically you just are using me. Kind of, but not really. That's okay. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, yeah. So I figured I'd begin it by talking a little bit about the old, the novel coronavirus, old COVID-19. I'm sure it has uh, completely enveloped the lives of everyone listening, whether they're home from work or, well, yeah, they are home from work or they're out of work or whatever uh, the case may be. It really fucking sucks. I think, I feel like, so I was looking today at, uh, through some of my Evernote shit that I haven't really organized yet and i realized that on march 5th i made a note that said uh said coronavirus markers and that day i wrote down um tim ferris worried which is a podcaster or no it was tim ferris uh says to cancel south by southwest and i was like damn that's some extreme shit right there and then i also wrote down um american uh physics people canceled their convention i think it was in colorado and that Amazon asked their employees to avoid non-essential travel. And I was like, damn, that's, you know, that's pretty serious. And we were getting ready and geared up to go to Australia. So that was really, uh, you know, kind of the beginnings of the severity of the situation for us as we were looking at it. Um, if anything, I think, we, you know, we, so we were in Europe when it first started coming into the news. I remember we were in Munich um, and right after they're like, yeah, businessman in Munich got it from a guy in China and um, who was over there, you know, uh, that's some kind of like business meeting conference kind of thing. And the whole time we were kind of joking about it, uh, as we still are joking about it, and I still will continue to joke about it. I feel like in these extreme situations, it's got to be, you know, taking it lightly is really important. But just uh, there was an article, it was actually Tim Ferriss, that same podcast that I'm really into, that tweeted out or, or as part of his uh, this email thing that he sends every week. And it was a mathematician um, economist guy in the U.S. had written an article comparing China's COVID-19 numbers with the American, the politicization of the North Vietnamese casualties in the Vietnam War. So it was like, um, it was too, uh, it was difficult to understand. And I was asking my brother about it, the math. It was basically the way that the graph was changing in the formula of them releasing the number of uh, discovered cases 
didn't match what most statisticians and um, virologists and epidemiologists thought that it should. It was like a simple quadratic formula instead of the exponentially changing formula. Um, that may have sounded like I know what I'm talking about, but I, but I don't. Uh, but ba- this guy, this like person on Reddit was able to predict like seven or 11 days of numbers that the Chinese government was going to put out based off of this formula. So I was like, damn, that's really weird. They might, maybe they're not being so truthful about their numbers. And that was the first time I started to think about, holy shit. But yeah, as it got closer for us to go to Australia, uh, it started to look a little bit more serious in the United States. And it was uh, it, it, the penultimate example for me of the disparity, the, the, the dichotomy, the, the dissonance between the kind of established 24-hour news network outlets, the government, and then um, alternative news sources of like, you know, doctors and epidemiologists on Twitter being like, no, this is how it's going to go. So you can kind of see how the, the information was completely dissonant with each other. Um, and to watch it just kind of switch and cross in real time was pretty insane. But we, we jumped on a call um, with our awesome uh, manager, uh, Tim, who's the, the fucking best guy ever and uh, no hyperbole, and our international um, booking agent, one of our international booking agents, Tom Taff, who was also an incredible human being. We were talking about what we were going to do. Are we going to go to Australia? And it seemed at the time of them talking to other promoters, uh, one of the anecdotes I got to say is you mentioned talking to a promoter uh, in Europe that was like, don't be ridiculous. And now where that promoter is from is completely locked down in a matter of like less than 10 days. Um, But the... Yeah, so we talked. We were like, "Hey, should we should we go? Should we cancel?" And uh, it seemed like the best idea would be to go. If we had, if it was a day earlier that we were leaving, I think that we would have just went with nothing. And if it was a day later, I think we would have we would have stayed. Uh, so it was that that it was that crazy. But get, getting down there and being outside of the United States while it has been unfolding was really hard because we were on a different sleep schedules. So when I'm talking to you, it was like you know, impossible. And I'm sure that I didn't do any, you know, being on tour and just having those downtimes where I'm just staring at my phone probably didn't help that I was just sending you uh, a, a rightfully alarmist, but alarmist shit constantly. <laughs> and I was just like, when are you coming home, yep. please? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it got, it got a little weird. I mean, right down there, they, when we got there, the vibe amongst our friends and uh, the people that we work with down there was basically we the our media is blowing this out of proportion to make us scared. Our Rupert Murdoch owned kind of situation is just is just meant to, you know, alarm us and get more people to watch the news and for whatever political means that, that you would get on that. Um, and by the time we left, they had instituted a uh, a like a mandatory self isolation um, for anyone coming over the border. So that was all in a matter of a couple of days that that unfurled pretty quickly. We actually, the uh, the government of Australia instituted a 500 person plus ban. And I don't think it was compulsory, but it may have been. Um, that started a couple of days after our show in Melbourne, which is on Friday. So we had a big, long discussion about whether or not we were going to cancel. We were trying to figure out what to do then. And we canceled uh, New Zealand because, and, and then in a couple hours after we canceled New Zealand, they instituted a... Mandatory. That's our cat screaming upstairs. <laughs> I was like, "Who let this child in the house?" All right, JJ. I probably check on her. Yeah, you could check on her. Maybe she's stuck somehow between the door. But yeah, the so we canceled that, and then getting home was was very difficult. Dealing with the airlines was impossible. We had seven hour plus um, uh, call back and wait times uh, to be able to try to switch our flights, and that just you know, was, was uncertain and, and, and annoying and a fucking goddamn nightmare. But eventually we did make it home through, um, LAX, which is super interesting because they kind of 
you know, no one tested us. They, on the kiosk, they asked if we had been to Italy, China, or Iran. So that was the only uh, uh, kind of like marker. And it was just a subjective test. There was no CDC screening. There was no temperature taken. There was nothing like that. But at the same time, when we had taken off from Melbourne, uh, checking the hashtag LAX hashtag on Twitter, it showed a couple of uh, people and journalists posting that they were in line for hours. Uh, everyone was kind of slammed into a hallway, breathing on each other. They weren't offering any type of um, hygienic assistance as far as hand sanitizer or uh, masks or even water for sick people, you know, just kind of. But by the time that we got there, they just basically waved us through and they had more lines and they like you, you basically just didn't stop walking. You kind of like walked, you're through. Uh, got to customs. They had like five lanes open. They just waved everybody through. They didn't even look at our um, kiosk receipts and everyone working there had masks and it was kind of like, I think they were just trying to, to their credit, mitigate everyone being there. And then American Airlines in there, you know, I feel very sorry for all these people who are working for the airlines right now. They canceled our flight before we even got on it. They just, uh, we went to another terminal because they was they delayed our flight, went to another terminal, went to the 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 old Alaska Air Lounge, you know, Priority Pass. <laughs> Um, got a little, you know, got a little drunk there under the circumstances and all this. All right, let's be real. We would have got drunk anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, we made it back to our terminal, get ready to, to get on our flight. And they were like, oh yeah, we canceled it. So you need to run to this, this other one. And we ran there and we were the last people on the plane. And funny enough, they sat me next to, uh, Larry, this guy, Larry, who we were supposed to meet in Japan and had to cancel our Japan trip um, through all world. this, which is pretty wild. But yeah, so that was just chaos. Then we landed in Philly, we made it home, and, and now we are here. And now, as of uh, 8 p.m. tonight, all non-was it life-sustaining businesses in the yep. state of Pennsylvania are closed, and they're going to begin uh, enforcing that um, at midnight on Friday, midnight on you know into Saturday. Mm-hmm. So, shout out to my brother who works for Procter and Gamble and makes a measurable percentage of the toilet paper in the world. <laughs> An important commodity <laughs> An impor- right now. Yeah, exactly. His ass is, uh, still has to go to work, and, I, and thanks, Mike, if you're listening to this while you're driving to work. Um, it's awesome. It sucks that you have to do that, but it's awesome. But yeah, things are, things are definitely very weird here in Philadelphia right now, and I'm sure they're weird in, in your community as well. I was really afraid that I wouldn't be able to find toilet paper before you got home, and I was like, that is a necessity in our house. Yeah, it truly is a necessity in our house, especially since you made me throw away our bidet. Justifiably so. That's one side of the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, truth. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of, you know, a, a really kind of short rundown version of, of what it's been like for us while we were in Australia. It was very uncertain. We really want to thank uh, Tim and Tom and all of our friends in Australia and everybody in Press Club who did the tour with us and um, everyone who worked at the venues for being so accommodating. And everybody who came to see us for making us feel so welcome in a situation that was so... Um, difficult to be in because we were so far away and felt helpless. You know, there's that whole, like you, a lot of times on tour, something happens at home. Uh, you know, in the more extreme cases, there's the death of a family member or a friend or, you know, a, a pet, like, uh, all of, or, you know, like the fucking one we were on tour recently, our ceiling collapsed in the house and I wasn't able there, there wasn't there to be able to help you. Um, which we might tell the full story of that later. Cause it's got a pretty cool, pretty cool twist to it. Um, but yeah, so this was like the, you know, the manifestation of that being on the other side of the world, not being up at the same time as everyone fucking pain and pain in the asshole. Plus your job is to bring people in very close quarters. And- oh yeah. And spit on them <laughs> from like six feet away. That was the whole, we were like, what is our le- measure of social responsibility here as we <laughs> breathe on hundreds of people or thousands of people or whatever every day. 
The Australians needed their fun before the world went on lockdown. They so. do, they do, and that's one thing that we've kind of uh, in private talks with, with with some of my friends that are musicians and our band ourselves. We do realize that during this time, uh, we can really be helpful in the sense of of continuing what we just do and what we essentially what we do is is to make people feel better about their lives. Hopefully, through making uh, songs. And hopefully in this case, listening to me talk while you do something that doesn't require your full attention. <laughs> Wash the dishes. You know, I don't know what people do while they listen to podcasts. You shouldn't be driving somewhere probably right now, but maybe you are, you know. Just you're helping them not feel alone if they are alone right now. Exactly. Like we felt today when we started to go completely insane. At least we have two animals it's who true. won't leave our side. Yeah, to, 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 to a fault. Uh, so, yeah, this is going to be the questions episode. I, uh, I did that thing on Instagram where you can make a poll in your story and people ask questions. And also some of my friends texted me and I bothered some of my friends uh, in a total like old dad move. I couldn't figure out where I thought no one was asking any questions because I couldn't find where they were. <laughs> oh, man. I didn't like know that they just they're in another place. <laughs> and then eventually in the little heart mention section on Instagram, they just all showed up at once. So I took screenshots and then I. Um, wrote them down and I'm going to answer some of them. The first one though, so my friend, my dear friend Carly, this is a question he asked me. Uh, he said something to the degree, oh well, I really should have wrote, I have these printed out in another total old dad move. But um, yeah, my friend Carly asked, what's like your favorite tour story of all time? That's going to be several other episodes of, uh, of different tour stories. But I got to tell you guys, the crazy fucking real life X-Files story that happened in Australia. Mm -hmm. So it, we are in Australia. We're staying at a hotel. Uh, I'm not going to say the hotel, but you can probably figure it out. Half because I want the story to maintain its its secrecy and half because I don't want to like, I don't know, just feels better to keep it keep it anonymous. But so we, we go and we play a show and we come back and we are understand, well, we're, we got a little turnt, we'll say. Got a little loose. And we get to the hotel, and it's like a you know drunken hoorah at the end of the night, going to our rooms. It is uh, all four band members and our tour manager, Scott, and our engineer, Dave March, uh, who's from Macclesfield. And, um, yeah, he's great. And so is Scott. They're the best. And I love everybody in my band. It's awesome. I think that, that whiskey shot I took before we started this is just, <laughs> just hitting me. You just love everyone during I just love coronavirus. Everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's the best person ever. Oh, yeah. They are. Even the neighbor that I just met that ignored me last time I met him. Hopefully <laughs> he listens to this someday. This is all we have now, our neighbors. Yeah, I met him from a very, very far distance. After international travel, I've been uh, holed up at the house. It sucks, but, you know, whatever. It's not, we're doing this. This is cool. All right, so we, we get home. We get back from the show. We're at this hotel. It's a nice hotel. Um, we Somebody's like, What's, what floor are we on? And one of us goes, I think it, I might, I think it was me. For the story, Spice, I'm going to say it was me because I was just, I was drunk. I was like playing songs on my phone and like being totally obnoxious. Um, so I'm like, third floor. So we get, <laughs> we get on the elevator and we're, it's one of those places where you have to, this is how you know it's classy. You had to use your key before you can push oh, the floor button. Keep the riffraff out. Yeah, keep the riffraff out. Keep us out, <laughs> as you'll hear in the story. <laughs> Uh, so we're trying to hit the third floor button and it won't light up. We're like, what the fuck? So we, uh, somebody's like, all right, we'll go to the fourth floor and we'll walk down. So we go to the fourth floor. And meanwhile, we're carrying guitars. Um, you know, we're, we're having a, a time of it. And we, we get out on the fourth floor and we walk down to the third floor. And it's uh, all the, so it's all an open staircase. And when you get to each floor, it's just open, you know. But the third floor has a frosted glass door and a wall on it. So we're standing there like a bunch of fucking morons, sticking the card in and out. Um, 
Also, like I gave the caveat before, I was drunk, so you got to take all this with a grain of salt and realize that everyone else probably wasn't acting as much of uh, as much of a moron as I was. But because Scott was there trying to get it, but he's like f- rapidly and violently sticking the card in and out of the card reader trying to get it to work. And we can't get it to work. And so meantime, Dave is like, all right, I'm going to go down to the lobby and I'm going to get in the elevator again and I'm going to see if the third floor will work this time and then I'll come let you guys out. So for now, this part of the story, Dave's gone. So we are still doing there. And then I think it was Greg and, and, and Scott were looking through the, the frosted glass and they see a sign that says Lima 6. And they're like, Lima 6? What the fuck? That's weird. What the fuck's that mean? So we're like, all right, let's go. We'll go back up to the elevator. So now we're, we're walking back up to the fourth floor. Meanwhile, flashback, 15 seconds. <laughs> Dave, well, probably longer. Dave runs down the steps, uh, gets to the, to, the, to the elevator, and he goes to get on the elevator, and there's two like, jacked security guards with uh, like, ear pieces in. And they're like, you know, they're like, where are you going? Um, and Dave's like, uh, he's, they're like, where are you staying? And Dave goes, we're on the third floor. And they're like, no, there's no <laughs> way you're on the third floor. So Dave's like, yeah, we're on the third floor. And they're like, no, you're not on the third floor. These guys are like 6'5". We couldn't decide whether or not one of them had a, a, a weapon. I'm pretty sure one of them had a gun or a taser. But again, really drunk. Makes the story better, though, cause especially because they don't really have uh, the, the, the cops and um, security guards don't have guns in Australia. So it makes it extra intense so they get on the elevator dave looks at his phone sees a picture that he took of the room realizes it's the sixth floor gets back on the elevator and starts going up to the fourth we, we push the button by now to get uh back on the elevator and dave's on it so we're on the fourth floor and we get to the elevator and dave just looks real weird he's not white as a ghost but he just looks a little bit weird and the two security guards stepped to the side of the elevator from where we were coming from and had their backs to the wall so we kind of we couldn't see them as we approached the elevator super weird so then we all pile on the elevator, and as soon as we walk in, we see the two security guards. I'm like, whoa, what the fuck? This is, it starts to dawn on us how bizarre and weird this entire situation is. Um, so yeah, we go up to the sixth floor. We're getting in. We go to the rooms. We're like, holy shit, what the fuck's on the third floor? This is fucking crazy. This is nuts. Uh, Dave goes back downstairs for a smoke, gets back on. Two dudes join him on the elevator again, and these two guys get off on the third floor. So he said there were two dudes with like, uh, there are two older gentlemen. I think he said one of them was Asian, may have had an accent. Um, they get on, and that's relevant because of what, where the story goes. Uh, it, it, they had old Nokia cell phones. So like brick phones. So they get off on the third floor, and there's a guy in like high-vez you know, equipment or whatever, and he's checking their IDs before he lets them on the third floor, and Dave sees another sign that says Lima 6. So we go back up, and at this point, I'm in full X-Files mode, freaking out, <laughs> texting everybody like, what the fuck is going on on the third floor? It's some corona shit. Uh, because, oh, and before we went to the show, earlier in the day, there was a uh, group of, like, um, like uh, uh, well-fit EMT emergency medical worker type people that were leaving the hotel, and they had a, the guy who seemed, was seemingly in charge had a packet of, like, uh, triage stickers. They were like, uh, green, red, yellow. So they, this is before we went to the show. Damn it, fucking story up. And we were like, damn, what the hell? Was somebody somebody making the joke? Like, yo, somebody in here got coronavirus. Um, so we're going. And then that night we're like speculating who's on the third floor. We figure it's got to be like Tom Hanks is down there with his, because only somebody rich enough would be able to block off the whole third floor. It's got to be this Formula One team that was uh, quarantined in Australia. We're trying to figure all this shit out. So we, we get up the next day, doing our business. We meet up with our friend uh, Shane, our friend Spud. And having a day of it, you know, later on as the day goes on, he's like, yeah, I told my story, that story to one of my friends. And she told us that that hotel was a hospital before it was turned into a hotel a couple years ago. So we're like, oh, shit, this is definitely it, definitely it. 
And then as the day got on even further, right before we were leaving, we found out that it's a fucking military quarantine on that floor of this hotel. It's like a secret biomedical military quarantine. And before that, uh, the Lima 6 thing we looked up, uh, my friend Eric Jensen actually sent it to me. You know, Lima is the, um, the military word uh, letter, whatever that uh, alphabet is called, uh, for L. And then L6 is a designation in the army for the reconnaissance brigade of, it was like biomedical, radioactive, nuclear, and yeah, I forgot what the E stood for, but that was like that division of the army. So sure enough, they had a fucking thing. And then the next morning, when we, when we, and later on that day when we were leaving to go to the airport, there was just a shit ton of guards everywhere that we just didn't really notice with fucking... Um, um, like combat pants tucked into their combat boots. It was fucking wild. It was a trip. So to answer your question, Carly, that was my favorite story of tour recently. I have one follow-up question. What, what is it? What floor were you actually on? The sixth floor, <laughs> we, which is not anywhere near three. Doesn't look like a three. It doesn't sound like a three. I guess it's divisible by a three. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was, that was a wild ride. What do you think? Should I answer some of these questions? Of course. Should I just randomly pick them and then cross them out? Yes. Do you have a, a pen? No, I'll get you one, though. I'm the producer. Oh, you are the producer of this. Hell yeah. The producer. You have a laptop and a dog. <laughs> and you're looking at me while I'm answering all these? Thank you. Uh, let's see. I'm just going to start with this one. Fun questions. All right. Kieran. Kieran Kelly. Uh, are there more chairs in the world than people to sit on? Chairs. There's got to there's be more chairs. Think of all the stadiums. Think of how many schools. people don't have chairs yeah, in third world countries. How, much, how many people in third world countries don't have chairs? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> all right, I, how I, did I get myself into this? <laughs> Fucking coronavirus. Yeah, right? Goddamn. I, I'm going to say it's chairs. We got we to look it up. If, uh, so there's also one where I'm going to do show notes and really kind of put, put the show notes in. And I'm going to look that up. Star it if you have to look it, it up. Yeah. Good call. But I think there's got to be more chairs. Think about every school auditorium. Uh, and this is, you know, just in, in, in the United States or in the Westward, Western world. But like. I was thinking freestanding chairs. So. Yeah. Every plastic folding chair. Like every. Yeah. You know, like there's, there's so many in the world. All right. All right you're, so, you are thanks, the Karen. boss. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're the producer. So you're the boss. You know. That's how it works, right? I, uh, I lost the sheet already that had that question on it. Oh, I got it. All right. <laughs> Nathan asks, have you tried the Key Lime LaCroix? Yes. Yeah, it's fucking awesome. Key Lime's my favorite. So. It's, it's really good. It is your favorite. I, I don't think I've ever met, uh, well, tried a seltzer that I didn't like. Mm. The coconut one is a little, mm. tastes like sunscreen, but I'd still drink it. The Some real, black cherry is really bad. You don't like black like cherry? Medicine. Yeah, some of it tastes bad. like medicine, yeah. Wish it could be a little bit more formulaic. The I'd say the granddaddy or the golden the golden gem of all seltzers is for me is is Wegman's brand. Yeah, definitely. The ginger one tastes like fucking ginger ale. Yeah, I made sure to not drink that one while you were gone so that we would have it. That's since Wegman's is in another state, we may never go there again. <laughs> True. That's why that's why you're my pre wife. So and I'm your pre husband. I'm the alarmist one. Oh, that <laughs> no, I do nice things like, for you. Yeah, you left the ginger uh uh, Wegman Seltzer for me. You know, one friend told me that Piggly Wiggly got some real shit. They have a cola one. Good thing we don't live anywhere near Piggly Wiggly. Yeah, good thing Wiggly. we don't live in, in North Carolina. You have to bring some home now on the tour bus. Yeah, I'll have to do that. I'll, I'll, I'll reserve a bay and just fill it with that. 
if we ever. <laughs> but uh, all right, next up, uh, Trusty La Music asks, uh, "What will your last meal be?" Uh, I'm gonna say minestrone or pasta visual. Homemade or visually. Uh, well, if it's my last meal, I guess I would want to make it, but I'm hoping that I would be busy doing something else before it. Or in prison, so you wouldn't be able to in make prison, it. In prison, yeah. Just kidding. Right. Uh, yeah, I would do minestrone or pasta for Julie in a bread bowl. Mm. Uh, chips and salsa before that. Mm-hmm. And I would wrap it all up with... A burrito. Damn, that's good. But I was going to say vanilla peanut butter ice cream oh. in a bowl with a spoon. Dope. What would your last meal be? Shit. Um, mashed potatoes. Oh, fuck. Damn it. Okay, so and in the bread things. bowl is mashed potatoes <laughs> underneath the pasta jewel. <laughs> and Edward's key lime pie, which is so good, even though it's in every grocery store in Frozen. Is that the uh, the Frozen one? Yeah. Nice. On this one to the screen. I'm going to make sure it's working. Ja. Cool. Um, 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 all right, next. Connor Bloomy. <laughs> it's spelled, it's spelled B-L-U-E. I didn't what catch it. What if that's it. his name? I mean, that'd be really like funny. Bloom. Yeah, but now it's a double entendre. <laughs> Connor Bloomy. Sorry, Connor. Yeah. I <laughs> uh, love you, buddy. Uh, are you a fan of Cormac McCarthy? Why or why not? I'm going to say yes, but I'm cheating because I haven't read any of Cormac McCarthy's books. I just really liked The Road and No Country for Old Men. I think those movies are those movies are pretty great. But one of my best friends, Nick Harris, loves Cormac McCarthy. Says he's fucked up. Tries to get me to read Blood Meridian. I should probably do that. You read that shit? No, I didn't even know who that was. And I'm glad you did. Cause... Nice. <laughs> Hell yeah. That's what I'm hoping you can help me reciprocate. Like when I don't know something, you jump in with it. You know. So we had the laptop out to cheat. Do I really have to look stuff up for you? No, but that'd be cool, you know? <laughs> uh, but I'm on whiskey glass number two. All right, fair enough, fair enough. All right, Dan Zimmerman asked me, do you love me? Dot, 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 now that I can dance. And he, Dan, you sent me kind of down a Mandela effect-esque rabbit hole of uncertainty because I did not realize that, or, or I just like kind of didn't cognizantly realize that the song, do you love me? <laughs> do you, at the end, they go, now that I can't dance. Never fucking noticed that, really. <laughs> I just never internalized it, you know? And the answer is absolutely a resounding yes. And then when I let that play on YouTube, it, it spiraled into a whole um, 60s playlist, and it really colored my day. Thanks, Dan. I love you. You're the best. Uh, my friend Rory from Canada, Rory Sylvester, he says... Do you walk to school or take your lunch? Answer is definitely both. Because I walk everywhere that I could to a fault. And I obnoxiously bring a lunch with me. You do. Often. You know, I'm not ashamed of it anymore. I don't care. We're old. We can yeah. be you healthy. Can, you can take a lunch with it. Yeah. I tried not to make it a pungent lunch. Here's what I do. I bring like one big soup container that's lunch all week take up all that fridge space in the Damn, office fridge. Really? Yeah. That's pretty. I mean, I always wondered what the fridge politics are at an office. 
So there's beer in ours. You got beer in yours? And I'm always yours? like, should I drink this one day? Yes. Like at 4.30 is fine. And then the last day of work, I was told that I could if I wanted to. Well. I still didn't, but. Damn. You see, that's funny because when I get to work, the first thing that happens is they put two cases of beer and a bottle of liquor into a room. <laughs> well, I, as soon as I finish the first part of my work. <laughs> and they've, they actively, incur- in fact, when they really want to be special, they bring us fancy alcohol or <laughs> champagne or something. And they're like, hey, work with Live Nation. Hey, work with AEG. You know, that kind of shit. Um, yeah, that's a little bit of a contrast, I guess. Indeed. What would happen if you just cracked a beer at noon at your work? I would definitely get fired. Really? Unless it was There's a holiday fridge, party. Though. But it's for like holiday parties and when people are leaving or getting married or whatever. But it's not explicitly like in some kind of employee handbook where it's like, it definitely is somewhere oh. in an employee handbook. <laughs> oh, whoops. Well. <laughs> well, when I worked in music, that wasn't the case. We would have beer Fridays. So. Yeah, that was also. Oh, we have a little bit of a break in the conversation because I may have accidentally got Beth in to violate her NDA. Who would have thought? You know, that's a thing. I'm <laughs> uh, just going to do a couple questions real quick. My friend Mackenzie asks, are aliens and lizard people immune to COVID-19? I'm going to have to go ahead and say yes, for sure. Uh, My sister Shannon asked, mountain or beach? Mountain, for sure. People cannot breathe underwater. Uh, They don't belong at the beach. Uh, There are very big and scary things and unknown things in the water. We don't need to to be on boats. That's that's not necessary anymore. Uh, And mountains are beautiful. And the one only Joe Godino asked me if you have 30 seconds to order anything on Amazon and never again won't you order. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, Dried mushrooms, uh, a bidet, uh, ammunition, uh, glass, sugar glass bottles I can smash in my head. Uh, So here we go. Fastigi asked me, need to know how you ended up on the Glockamora album cover. Hmm. That's the, yeah, that's the cover of Just Married by Glockamora. That was one of the best nights ever. That was back when uh, a lot of us worked. We rode bikes everywhere. Uh, so it's probably, I don't know, I'm just going to guess and say it was 2011, 2010, 2009, around there. But uh, yeah, we rode bikes everywhere for work to get uh, like at, as a job, um, you know, just kind of bombed around the city. It was exhilarating. It was fucking crazy. It was awesome. And that night I went to five different New Year's parties and started at Gunner's Run where my friend was a chef that night, which is a, which is a restaurant that was in the Piazza. I don't, I don't know if it's there anymore. And then just, you know, went, went everywhere, a couple parties in Fishtown, made it back down to South Philly right before midnight to there, which uh, the, the celebrating man on the cover is Andy Clark, uh, one of my best friends, one of the first people that I, I met when we moved to Philadelphia. Um, he works as a tour manager and a... Um, front of house engineer and a record producer and he's one of the uh, I believe one of the co-owners of, of Retro City where he is one of the co-owners of Retro City studios up in Germantown fucking love you so much Andy but yeah Andy is one of the best uh, and, and, and more most charismatic people I know he's freaking out on the cover both hands up in the air and Augusta uh, Koch from um, Gladdy and um, Kaitana is there as well and it was just like a, that was like the summation of our lives at that point it was just a, a house party in someone's living room at like 15th and Tasker or some shit. I think that's where, where they lived. And yeah, it was amazing. There was champagne stands on that ceiling forever. But yeah, that was how, we, how I ended up on that. Cool. Next question. 
Um, I'm not, I skipped all of the coronavirus questions for now. I think we covered it. Yeah, we covered it. Yeah. There's a um, you know, we might have to. Well, maybe we'll jump back in. I don't have any any. There's people who have better answers than I. So me answering would just be reaffirming or canceling what you think about it already, um, which maybe is maybe a good or bad. Sal, my friend Sal Ellington, which uh, Madrano brother is cuter? Diego. Sorry, you're hotter. Sal's hotter. So sorry, Diego, but Diego's Diego's cuter. I gotta say. Uh, Jess Flynn, your favorite BJJ technique to use or attempt when rolling, and which do you nail the most? That sounds so dirty when you think about it. (laughs) 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 Like I know what it meant, but for someone who didn't know you did, you both did. uh, Was it my inflection? Yeah, yeah. BJJ nailed it. (laughs) I mean, come on. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of a a lot of wonderful uh, nomenclature there. Yeah, BJJ stands for Brazilian (laughs) Jiu-Jitsu. And rolling is what you do uh, when you are practicing Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Yeah, rolling around, nailing it. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta get you another glass of whiskey. I think. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so I had to. So I go to uh, I, I do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and Muay Thai um, at Philadelphia Jiu Jitsu, and I haven't been to um, actual uh, BJJ class in a while. I have a. Um, injury my back and also our touring schedule and also prioritizing and, you know, just didn't, haven't made it in, in a little while. Uh, but I still go to Muay Thai constantly, um, every week with my, with, uh, with Eric Jensen who got me into it in the first place. So my favorite BJJ technique to use or attempt when rolling is definitely one of the, still one of the first things I ever learned, which is a, um, kind of like a, uh, arm elbow lock from Mount where you like get the elbow cross body and use your chest to pin the elbow down and then grab their forearm with like an oi or an oar kind of grip and then roll back and, and, and get that into a rear naked. That was one of the first things that I had learned. Um, but my favorite thing to do is, uh, I believe it's called Tomenagi, Tomonagi. It is a sacrifice throw um, in jiu-jitsu and judo where you get your foot up into kind of like the hip and then roll backwards onto your ass and back, and then you use that momentum and the placement of your foot to be able to throw their body over. So it's kind of like making them do a somersault. Uh, Sometimes it ends up being like a helicopter-ish kind of situation where you spin them with your feet. But I like that one the most because everyone, it's it's always very unexpected. In whatever way I do it, it's one of the few ones that I can can do often. And I've gotten it on some people much higher belts than I am, which is always a great feeling. Yeah. It's fucking sick. I gotta. I, I want to go back so bad. Um, yeah, thanks, Jess. And let's see. We're getting into the tour questions. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, so I didn't answer a lot of questions that people asked, and I'm sorry, but I just they either made me think about parts of myself that I didn't want to address <laughs> right now, or they <laughs> were the same questions that people kind of ask over and over again. Like uh, I don't want to even say them because I don't want to like make anybody feel bad for asking them. But I skipped a lot of them. But this one's on the on the cusp of it, you know, uh, Tony. Tony f- says, uh, favorite venues to play in the UK. And he spelled it F-A-V-O-U-R-I-T-E. So, you know, he's, he's legit. This yeah. is an authentic, authentic UK question. Info. Yeah. My favorite uh, so far has been Royal Albert Hall in Manchester for several reasons. It's an old, like, church place with beautiful stained glass windows. It's so fucking cool. Uh, it's the biggest show that we played in Manchester so far. Everybody worked there. It was awesome. And there's a giant organ behind you. Super cool. And the dressing rooms were huge 
and warm and well-equipped, which is not something that you find often in the UK. Uh, a lot of really old buildings with you, like carpet in the bathroom. You just mean there was a good toilet. I mean, there's, well, that's part of it. Yeah. <laughs> One of the big ones is a good toilet. Um, and it was, yeah, it was big and it was cool and everybody was accommodated and it was, yeah, I really, really like that. And then also other favorite venues have got to be O2 Forum in uh, Kentish Town in London because it was one of the first, um, bigger places that we played in London. And each time we go back to London, it's like bigger and bigger headline show. So wherever we play there is always a lot of fun. You know, I like some of the places that Bob puts us in, in, um, Glasgow, uh, usually like kind of university sponsored places that are real legendary that all the big punk bands played back in the day. And that's always really fucking cool. It's cool to play buildings and, and venues in the UK because they're always, all of them are old. None of them are like a purpose built new place in a, in a next to a strip mall or a strip mall situation, which sometimes you run into in the United States, uh, which is great because they'll always have a nice sound system and stuff. But the, the old UK buildings always have a, a, a lot of character to them. Pretty cool. Uh, Doge Marcel, what's your favorite city in Europe? Barcelona. I don't have to say. Hope I can go there. I hope you can go there too. That's where we're meant to go and we'll see what happens with the travel arrangements. But yeah, I've studied Spanish um, a lot. So when we went there, it was really fun to be able to, to, to communicate. And it's just such an interesting, cool city. You know, it's, uh, it, was, it was hot and um, climate was great. Uh, it's very laid back. You don't really feel like you're in the way so much in a lot of places. It's, it's laid back in that European way where you're not just like taking up space if you're sitting in a cafe. You know, everybody's just kind of sitting there. Um, you don't feel rushed. The architecture is incredible. That Degas. Uh, cathedral is just fucking breathtaking super cool um ben uh from title fight lives there and he was able to take us around one day and he took us up to an old um anti-aircraft bunker that overlooks the city from the spanish civil war and that was super fucking cool you handing me a water yeah you seem parched Uh, i was i was getting a little smacky (laughs) but yeah that city is is fucking beautiful Uh, amsterdam is one of my favorite too even though the last time i went to amsterdam i experienced a Hilarious tour nightmare. I forget what that was. Um, you don't want to go on. No, do you? That's, yeah, Nick, uh, Nick Harris and I, who's fan, oh yeah, yeah, friend of the friend of the podcast. Nick Harris and I rented a car to go to. One thing that he does is he goes to see as many Van Goghs as he can. So there's one um, museum outside of Amsterdam, out in the, not out in the middle of nowhere, but it's out in the woods, out in like a national park. Has a whole bunch of Van Goghs. We drove out there to check it out. And we rented a car. We rented an electric car. We were so excited. Trying to be economical. We were trying to be, yeah, we were trying to be sustainable. And it was cool. It was a BMW. We were like, this is the shit. We had a great time going out there. And it turns out in Amsterdam, you need a kind of like a, a an RFID tag of some kind to be able to recharge the vehicle. And the guy asked us how far we were going. We told him, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, you won't need to charge it before you get back. And we needed to charge it immediately. As soon as we got there, it was almost gone. We were like, okay, well, we'll guess we'll find a place to charge it. And they didn't give us the fucking thing to charge the car. So we spent uh, the entire day going from what may or may not be a charging station to another. And eventually we got a, somewhat of a charge, uh, made it back. We were three miles away from the rental place on the outskirts of Amsterdam. And we just had to Ditch. die on the side <laughs> of the road. It was... Uh, you know, a situation where we were like, what do we do? I don't know what to do. We were driving around some some residential area and we were like, all right, fuck it, we're going. We'll go slow, we'll throw the hazards on and then we, then we died on the side of the highway. And a man who spoke zero English picked us up, took us to where we weren't supposed to go, but took us to where he was from, which was like a depot. The whole thing was quite an ordeal, but I was, uh, I was glad I got to go through it with, with Nick of all people. And don't he- use the next T or next 
whatever it is, uh, car rental service, because some fucking Dutch guy's going to fuck you over. And I was talking to you the whole time, and you didn't say anything until it was over, because you knew I'd be scared. Yeah, I didn't want to freak you out. I didn't want to freak anybody out. And I was also embarrassed that I got myself in this situation in the first place, which seems silly, but, you know, whatever. Those, those things always happen to you, so it's they do. surprising. Those things, uh, <laughs> a lot of my friends can testify that, that that would happen to me. All right, Pete. Favorite things to do in the city visit? That's a, that's, that's a good question. My, Shop. Yeah, my favorite thing to do is go to the grocery store. Yeah. Oh, he also said, why do they make you happy and start with Philly? Don't visit Philly. I live here, so I'm, <laughs> I'm going to skip that part. But uh, yeah, my favorite place to go when we go to a new country or a new city is usually to go to the grocery store. Part of it probably because of, it gives me a semblance of control over my life <laughs> that I don't normally have because I can buy some food that I can prepare or I can eat raw. But mostly it's to walk around and kind of just look at what's going on. You know, I feel like you can tell a lot about a neighborhood, um, a country, a city about by what is uh, what regular people are going to do and eat. You yeah. know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, the, like the watering hole where all the animals come together and Lion King and they're, that's like where they have the best song. You know, that's like, that's my version of the grocery store. I just kind of walk in there. And next question. <laughs> I was like, can we sing the whole Nah, Savenya song? No. <laughs> Too much of a... A detour. Yeah, too much of a detour. I would have to look it up. And then there's the whole thing where, where uh, my soon-to-be brother-in-law... Uh, oh, shit. I forgot uh, it Fucked with me. <laughs> Tunde Kualawiwa told me that it means I am the lion. Yes, I am the lion. And apparently it didn't, but I believe that and told that to many people many times, thinking I had some kind of uh, <laughs> insider information because uh, my, fr- my uh, soon-to-be brother-in-law's family is African. Got me. You got me. Uh... Disco, da, 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 da. Disco before the breakdown Ask, what's the weirdest thing a fan has ever sent you? Oh, yeah. I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, our fans are pretty normal. They're out there teaching kids and building roads and, and that kind of stuff. And I feel like we haven't really gotten anything too too weird. We've gotten some intense things. We've gotten some letters that were deeply personal uh, that we really appreciated. But, you know, p- puts us in a situation where we have to confront with what uh, it is that we're, we're doing uh, for and with and two people, you know, um, a lot of like, uh, people telling us that we've helped them get through dark parts of their lives. And that's uh deeply heartwarming, but it's it, sometimes it's, since it's so personal, you don't really want to, it, it's, it's, you know, awkward. I don't want to face those, those deep kind of emotions as we've gotten older. It's been, it's gotten easier, which I think happens to, mo- to most people, not just, you know, our band, but yeah, I think that would fall into not the weird category, but the intense category. I'm trying to think if anybody ever like drew us anything weird. Oh my God. One time, uh, one of our fans, she gave, she get, brought a box to a show. I think it was in Portland, and it had uh, a cool drawing in it and a letter and uh, some gift cards to Starbucks. And she said, I got you guys some gift cards to Starbucks because you look so tired all the time. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. Touche. Uh, oh, my friend Mike Kowalik, uh, sorry if I didn't pronounce your name correctly. He's a legit historian. He asked, what's the best historical site you visited while on tour? You and Scott, all of them. Me and Scott, hell yeah. And most of us uh, love going to him. I'm going to have to say, it's not that far back in history, but the Apollo Mission Control in Houston. Yeah. That was one of the coolest fucking things. I just talked about it with Joe on the last podcast. We got to go into the old Apollo Mission Control Center where they you know, communicated with the astronauts that they sent to the moon. Uh, but it, where the majority of uh, Apollo 13 movie takes place. It was surreal. It was so fucking cool. I'm going to use the picture of 
me using the DOD phone. There was like one person in the room that was a direct line to the Department of Defense and they had like a little, like a legit red phone. Just picture me talking on it. I'm going to use that as the photo for the podcast. It was peak you. It was definitely peak me. There, Greg and I got to go into a legit motherfucking space shuttle that had been to space, came back and has been retired and is in a giant warehouse there. It was incredible. Uh, the other one I could think of is when we, we played with the Bouncing Souls in Aachen, Germany, in 2011, I think, or 2012. Or <laughs> and we played at a place called Music Bunker that was a legit World War II bunker. And from what we were told, I guess I should I could look this up. <laughs> God damn it. No, you don't have to look it up. I don't think we'd be able to find it. <laughs> but uh, it was the first um, bunker taken by the allies uh in actual germany so it was this giant thing with 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 several foot wide concrete walls there's like uh you know weapon damage to it on the outside whether it was aging or the shells that were hitting it and then here we were all these years later well just like a generation or two later two generations later um playing punk rock songs with a bunch of germans in the basement of this bunker it was it was pretty surreal that was definitely one of the coolest excuse me um historical places that ever been all right, Harley Cox, my friend from Boston, says, what's the closest you've come to dying? Wow. That would probably be, I was in a car accident with Luther on 11-11-11 in Chicago. And while I didn't suffer any, any, any massive um, injuries or any like thing that bothers me now besides a couple scars, which you can, you can kind of barely see, it was... It was surreal, and that time slowed down very, very slow as it happened. Uh, I was plugging in my cell phone in between the driver and passenger seat and looked up, and there was a car a couple feet in front of us and just slammed into the front of us. Um, and then we spilled out of the car. The airbags went off. Andy was stuck in the driver's seat. Andy Clark from the front of Guacamole Record. And Dan Case was sitting in the passenger seat, I believe. And uh, he kind of opened the door, and I fell out off of him onto the sidewalk. There's a lot of blood. Um, a guy started helping us and then another guy walking by had a camera and he was just like, uh, this is weird, but you guys mind if we take pictures? And we were like, go for it. So my goal, one of my white whales is to find those pictures. Cause you know, that fucking guy's out there somewhere. I think it was on Clark street. Uh, we were on our way to the ginger man cause a show that we had had been canceled and we were leaving. We had hung out with Brendan Kelly and his uh, fam in a bowling lane and I had drank, they had giant beer towers. And I drank one with some of the guys, and I think that was, you know, that whole adage that you can't. My deli- my uh, reaction time was delayed, so I didn't tense my muscles up. So I just hit my bald ass head, got <laughs> stuck with the few remaining hairs that I had at the time in the uh, in the windshield. <laughs> but uh, the other time would probably be remember when I got real sick. Yeah. Well, in high school, I got I had mono, and I slept for like twenty six or twenty seven hours once, and that was and lost a, an enormous amount of weight in a short amount of time, and it was it was pretty wild. But one time, a couple Christmases ago. I got hit with a, a serious flu and I couldn't see straight or I couldn't really see at all and I couldn't walk to the bathroom and you had to help me there. Well, before that, I was at happy hour. <laughs> <laughs> love you. <laughs> I love you but too. But if I had known how serious it was, I would have stayed home. Yeah. Yeah, it was that was a weird one. That was like a fever dream, kind of like slipping in and out of, of whatever. And I wasn't close to death, but it felt. I feel like that's what you would feel like as you made your way there if you were going to slowly die. Yeah, and it was scary. Yeah, it was scary. It was freaky. Wait, I just want to say, I take back what I said 
because now if you were in that position, it's it would be post-corona, so I would have still gone out to happy hour. Yeah, true. Even though I love you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Jess WBB asked me what's the best worst trip on shrooms. Mm. I'm going to save that for another podcast, but I could say that the, the one time that I had uh, been given fresh mushrooms mm-hmm. and you and I were together in the living room. Mm-hmm. This is before I got really into set and setting and uh, being intentional. Actually, this is the very beginning of that. It was the first time that I'd been intentional about what we were going to get into, what I was doing. And we had our, our psychic moment. Are you going to tell that story now? No, nah, I'll tell. Let's, let's leave it a little mysterious. All I'll right. tell later. Yeah. But yeah, that, to answer that, uh, let's see. Oh, Aubrey Will. Aubrey dropped off a sourdough starter from a great distance <laughs> on our front porch today, and I waved to her through the window. Through the wall. <laughs> through the wall. Hey, Aubrey. Uh, thank you so much. She asks, can't wait to make that starter. You yes. know, I never made bread before. We're going to kill it. I haven't had an oven that had a temperature gauge on it in the last 10 years. And now I do. You've come a long way. I've come a long way. I have a closet now. (laughs) Having a closet is pretty badass. And having an oven with a temperature thing on it is great. All right. So Aubrey says, uh, what would Fox Mulder do? WWFMD in the time of coronavirus. I'd like to imagine that Fox Mulder is, would be on a, um, in a state somewhere in Belgium where a member of the syndicate, some man with an ambiguous European accent, was explaining to him the true purpose of coronavirus and how they had made a deal with the one of the alien races that was set to um, take over humans on Earth. And then he would figure out a way to stop it by coming up with the antidote and delivering it while Scully was deteriorating somewhere. I think that's just basically the, the plot of the X-Files itself. <laughs> but I would like to imagine that that's what Mulder would be doing is saving us. Him, single pistol. It'd be, it'd be Gene's Mulder, you know, because he would have been fired by the FBI <laughs> at this point. And he's, like, redeeming himself. Hell yeah. Would Scully be Scully Young or Scully, like, in the show that I just made you watch? The British show that somehow <laughs> seems like it takes place in an American high school and everyone's 30 years old and, like, knows is way more uh, uh, sexually developed and responsible than anyone else is <laughs> and when they're 16. Yes, that was. <laughs> No, she was the young one. She was kind of, they always made her incapacitated at those moments, you know? She was always like... There were no strong women back then. I mean, if there was a case for a strong woman... <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm just kidding. But yeah, no, they, 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 if it, when it really came down to it, they, they incapacitated her. <laughs> She always needed Mulder to save her. Yeah, she was always sick and pregnant, having nosebleeds, being inside of a pod in a <laughs> spaceship in Antarctica. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm sorry. I only started watching it when we were dating so that I could connect with you. So I don't remember you did that everything. Oh. <laughs> I would stream it illegally off the internet. That's awesome. Uh, all right. We're getting into another territory here. I don't know what. This is an arbitrary category. It's not real. All right. Uh, my friend Chris, my friend Chris of the My Friend Chris song fame, Chris Dobich asked me, Do you hate it when people call them pods? What? When people call podcast pods. Oh, I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, I gave you no context for that. Sorry. Uh, you know, I guess I guess now that you mention it, you know, now that I have to think about it, every time for the rest of my life, if I ever go to say pods, I'm not going to because because you brought it up. I think he made that up. Uh, all right. Punk Crab Rangoon asks, will the Denver show be postponed? And what's your favorite bar in Denver? 
Uh, we don't have any Denver shows. <laughs> the one that's next. The one that's next. <laughs> the inevitable Denver show. Uh, my favorite bar in Denver is Forest Room 5. Hands down, for sure. They have the best barcade, one of the best barcades in the country. Level up, there's two of them. Uh, but the Forest Room 5 is so fucking cool. It's like a space outpost on a forest planet. It's really fucking cool. The bartenders were, are, were so awesome. Best cocktails. They have like light up tables outside. And there's plants everywhere and, and cool things. Yeah, it's just it's the best vibe. Go there. Did we go there when we went to Denver? No, we did not. We didn't make it. Because you don't love me. I That's that. not. I don't know if one has to do with you. <laughs> Actually, we did go. I, I remember. remember. We sat at one of the light up outside tables. It was really cool. It was really slammed. So we were like, eh. 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 Um, you know. How much did literature inspire the men's singers? A lot, actually. Uh, one of the first songs that we r- played together was a song called Even for an Eggshell, which is on our, our first record. And that was part of a English um, final project when I took English in high school. I think it was AP English class. I had to make a song. You like the humble brag when I threw that in there? Uh, that he was about Hamlet. And I chose the um, soliloquy... Uh, where he talks about the other person he's comparing himself to. It was basically on his indecisiveness, and I felt that was inspiring. I wrote that song about it, and then, you know, that kind of was one of the things that set our band off. And Richard Corey was one of the first songs that we had that was also a poem uh, that I that I really liked from that class that we kind of took and, and, and made into a song for ours. And then, you know, we, we constantly have um, a lot of literary references in our music, but it also... I think that reading a lot of the fiction that we do puts us into the mindsets and philosophical headspace to kind of reapproach the way that we're going to talk about things. And, and yeah, so it certainly inspires us. What song are you going to write after you read your Wild Mushrooms of Pennsylvania book? <laughs> On my nightstand right now is a Wild Mushrooms of Pennsylvania <laughs> field guide that my sister-in-law, Caitlin, gave to me. Thank you, love you, Caitlin. I don't know if I'll have a song ready for that one. <laughs> Uh, that would be a good segue into someone asked me about what, <laughs> somebody said, what is the freaks? Why did you write the freaks? What's the freaks about? And I was excited to talk about that. Oh, well, but yeah, that song it, itself, uh, was one that we put out last year and the chorus is there, there's a, in the bridge is about, um, talking about taking mushrooms with your partner. And that one, the chorus to me is kind of like a, uh, the end of the tagline is um, we're Adam and Eve in the um, garden, we'll start over. And that was at the time I was reading a lot about um, consciousness and the way that some people were framing consciousness as possibly the original sin. It was like uh, knowledge itself was the um, forbidden fruit that we tapped into. And part of the, the, I found the quickest way to reframe and study and observe even my own consciousness has been through the use of uh, certain psychedelics, specifically psilocybin and mushrooms. And that was a, a huge influence over, over that song. And it's also just kind of uh, a, a rolled out into the idea of developing a, a relationship and, and how it worked together. Um, it was a really fun one, and a really personal one for me. Speaking of, on March 26th, you can live stream a documentary that I have dragged you to twice and dragged my entire family to <laughs> once uh, called Fantastic Fun Guy made by this guy, Lori, uh, what's his name? I forget, Schwartzberg, whatever, but it features uh, Paul Stamets and Michael Pollan who wrote a book recently called How to Change Your Mind. And it's uh, about 
mushrooms and their and fungi and its role in our ecosystem, its role uh, for us from a sociological standpoint, its role in the the psychedelic mushrooms and their role in palliative care and um, treating trauma um, and developing ourselves. And it's just a super fascinating documentary. And they were meant to have it was in theaters only for so long, uh, but now on March twenty sixth because of the current circumstances and the uncertainty of our future, they're going to be live streaming it. So you can rent it. Uh, just go to fantasticfungi.com. I cannot recommend this movie enough. Le- uh, Brie Larson is, is the narrator. or No, she voices... All mycelium. All mushrooms. All mycelium. <laughs> she uses the royal... Not, well, it's a literal way, the royal way the whole time. But it's a good It's a good documentary, right? Yes. I'm glad you liked it. I cried the first time. I just don't think I can do a third time. Sorry. Oh, okay. Well, you can not well, watch it with me then. Also, I have nothing better to do on March 26th. Cause exactly. Because I'll be right here. Right here. <laughs> And uh, maybe they won't have any new episodes of that show. Nine one one. There's always new episodes no. of every show. God, I hate that show. Except for all the production is halted <laughs> on all of my favorite shows. Oh man, I didn't even think about that. Palmer. But uh, what was that? There was the mushroom question. Hell yeah. Uh, Alex Mackway. Uh, what's up, Alex? She asked me, "Are you still vegan vegetarian?" Uh, I'm not. I'm not. That's a whole other podcast. That was actually the first podcast I was going to do. Mm. Remember, I, I took the the field recorder up to my brother's house, and we recorded the first time of me eating um, meat, meat in like meat. five years. Yeah, my brother and I smoked uh, meat for a very long time, and I kind of talked about how it felt and all that. Yeah, that was the original. Maybe I should still do that. Yeah, that would be it. great. But uh, she also asked your favorite recipes, snacks, pantry staples, isolation meals. Uh, do you go to all recipes and look up? A black bean quinoa recipe. I think that is such a good. It's a you can you know it's vegan. A staple of a pantry recipe. You got black beans, corn, uh, onions, and quinoa, and you cook it all together with a, a bunch of cumin and some garlic, and it just makes a great side. You can put some protein in it. You can add uh, um, uh, you know like green vegetables like all that shit. It's such mm-hmm. a a fucking great one. It never really gets old. I feel like you can kind of just you know spoon that shit in while you're in <laughs> quarantine. There's also a, a chef online that I really like, uh, Cookie and Kate. Yeah. Kate and her dog Cookie or Cat Cookie, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, she posted a thing recently. It was 50 pantry-free, pantry-friendly recipes. And she has some incredible recipes that I've been making for years that she puts out on her website. That's also that lentil soup that I make. Oh, my God. One of my other does. favorite things ever. Yeah. yeah, lentil soup, I would say, is also one of my favorite. Just the best lentil soup by Cooking Kate. It's oh, it's so fucking good. And yeah, they uh, shout out shout out to her. And she's also not too heavy on the like, somebody, I saw somebody write or tweet or whatever about how you don't want to hear about somebody's like experience at Girl Scout camp with squash before you get to the part of the recipe. Or not, so there's like always a novel <laughs> that people write before you get, you have to scroll all the way down past the fucking, it was this mid-October night when I saw an eggplant. Um... Yeah, no, she's really great with that. And I'm a very soupy, soupy, saucy man. Soup is the greatest food of all time. Mm-hmm. Probably one of the first things we ate as people. I like to think that. My my evolution, my ill-informed evolutionary, uh, you know, narrative that I tell myself, soup was the first thing. That's why I like it. Okay, next. All right. Sorry. <laughs> is there enough pots? How many, what's, is there more soup or more pots in the world? Going back to the chair and people question. I guess there's got to be soups because you can have an infinite number of soups, right? But you need a pot to cook it in. 
Oh, shit. Well, then that answers itself. <laughs> it answers. There's only as many soups as there's pots. <laughs> but what about the ones in X Tupperware? across there. Right. I don't know. Sorry. My friend Mike Casey, who also asked a question, he made a soup one time in a magic bullet. So the friction of it going for so Whoa. long heated it up. It's pretty fucking cool. Mike's real good for that kind of shit. <laughs> you want to learn about thermodynamics, you talk to Mike Casey. You want to learn about anything, you talk to Mike Casey. Um, Aaliyah, 666, you took time off drinking. How long did you last and did it change anything? I took 110 days off of drinking and it changed everything. It really grounded me. It built my self-confidence and self-reliance up to a point that it had not been in years. Uh, it taught me healthy drinking habits. It shined a light on my unhealthy drinking habits. Um, it opened the door for me socially to create situations and examine the relationships that I currently had that were only based on alcohol, which thankfully there weren't very many. I didn't have that many like just solely drinking buddies. And some of those people I would still hang out with all the time because I, I love them, but I didn't, uh, you know, thankfully that was, that was the case there. But yeah, it also, it, it, yeah, it really just allowed me to reframe my life and what I wanted to do in the sense that I would come home, we would come home from the bar or something and it would be like 1130 and I'd be like, Oh, there's like 15 minutes of emails that I need to do. And then you know, that's it. Like we'll literally just be 15 minutes and I'll be able to get it done right then. Whereas in the past I would come back hammered and be like, well, I'm too drunk to do it now. Wake up hungover, be like, Oh, I can't do it now. Power through the day and just like dread this thing for whatever reason. You know, I don't have the answers to why I would do that or why, why people do that. But I stopped doing that. I stopped like making mountains out of molehills for things that were easy in the end, whether it be a difficult conversation or you know, I used the the example of emails. It could have been, could be fucking anything, mm -hmm. but uh, that was one of the big things that happened. You know, and I, I recommend everybody, anybody who drinks is, you know, as much it gets whoever whoever out there gets drunk when you drink. You know, there's some people who just don't even get drunk. Um, I would recommend taking some serious time off and 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 seeing what it does for you. Yeah, a long life. You know what the fuck? Who's what? How's it gonna hurt? Um, I just want to say that I think you played a lot of VR in that time. I that did. You didn't drink too. So yeah. You found something else. I did find another, another like stress reliever. Yeah. You know. Where you got to yell at little kids. That was VR's next level. <laughs> I would more, I more so let little kids know how disappointed I was. <laughs> I'm like, buddy. Total dad mode. Why did you? Well, you don't have to say that. You know, when they said all the bad words. Gay. It's gay. <laughs> They'd say that constantly. Uh, which I guess when you're a confused, you know, 12 year old and now you're doubly not supposed to say it, you know? Yeah. It's kind of weird to hear it. Yeah. It's super bizarre and kind of hilarious and bad and bizarre and hilarious. But yeah, those kids, it's also funny in VR because you're your size. So there were so many times where you're playing one of those games like rec room or whatever, and you're playing against little kids and in the game, they're, you know, they come up to your waist cause they're a little kid or in my case, they come up to my chin and my chest. <laughs> But one t one game we were playing, it was like a shooting game. I couldn't figure out how to use one of the guns that you pick up. And this little kid was like, time out, time out. Everybody come here. And all I was surrounded by little kids. And they're like, promise you won't shoot us? And I was like, yeah. So surrounded by seven or eight short avatars of these, you know, children in the game. And they came up to me and they handed me the weapon, which you weren't, you know, you, you were supposed to be competing for it. Mm -hmm. And then they showed me how to do it, like with my hands. And they're like, all right, well, don't shoot us, but you can have it for now. And then they all ran away <laughs> in different directions. They scurried off like little fucking little, 
um, spider monkeys. <laughs> and then uh, they're like, okay, time in or game on or whatever. It was like playing kickball on the street, except I'm old. I mean, they came together to teach the old head how, yeah, to, how it, to do the game. That's it was so really, nice. It was, it was really nice. And then you get weird ones like where the kids are, you know, you can't, it's hard for me to communicate with a 10 year old first. I guess it's not that hard, but there's like some hard like over the internet, hard like. over the internet, true. <laughs> but they'll ask you some existential shit. Like one time I, we were playing this game where there's no rules. So you can shoot each other, you can band together as a team, whatever. And I shot this kid from far away. It was so fucking funny. And he snuck up on me and he's like, Hey, why, why'd you do that? <laughs> I was like, why'd I do it? He's like, why'd you shoot me? And I was like, wasn't that part of the game? And he's like, well, you didn't have to. It was existential. I had to stop playing. He just knew you were soft. Maybe. Or maybe maybe he was an angel, a (laughs) VR angel. I always wonder if there's some character, this is a conspiracy theorist part, I always wonder if some of the people in the VR that I come in contact with are actually AI. Because some of them don't interact with you a way that a person would. And it's very bizarre. And I feel like almost like they're developed. I mean, it's owned by fucking Facebook. I wonder if they're, you know, developing these kind of like AI interactive to technology to the end game would be to get you to buy or vote mm-hmm. a certain way or whatever, you know, there's some, there's some weird ass wild people on, on that shit. Uh, okay. Rich Cole. What's up, buddy? Uh, our mutual, very close friend say trying to be musically productive during this quarantine, like write and record any tips. Uh, yes. For me, it's a two, it's a two parter situation. One is you just have to start because a lot of times I'll like pretend like I have so much to do before I start, like get a drink, um, put on a different shirt, like whatever stupid thing I come up with as an excuse not to do it, even though it's something I love to do. So one is to just start. And the other, the other tip I have that has worked wonders for me has been to make it as easy as possible. So now that uh, on the third floor of our house, I have uh, like a studio set up, um, a desk with stuff. I even have the microphone on a stand already plugged in. Everything is plugged in already and I could literally just pick up and start playing. So that is, uh, I made it as easy as possible, which seems like, you know, it it is a no brainer. But now that when we're recording, there's so many pieces of hardware and software and just so many distractions on the computer and all that shit. I just made it so that I can pick up and just go. And that has been um, one of the, one of the biggest things for me. All right. We're getting into some nerdy questions. You ready? How nerdy? To the point where I'm going to use combinations of letters and numbers that seem arbitrary but are deeply meaning to some gear people. Oy. All right. Yeah, sorry. Uh, Selesnevden. Selesnevden. There's a lot of missing vowels in this <laughs> username. 87. Do you run your DLX reverb? My deluxe reverb, Fender deluxe reverb. And OR100, wet slash dry. Uh, I run them dry and on their clean channels, and I use a uh, uh, JH Archer pedal to get my main gain and breakup. But I also have a new satellite, um, Adam, that is fucking awesome. I've been having some some technical problems with it, so I haven't used it on the road. Um, I've had to, to, to. It's been kind of like a you know battle to get this thing to fucking work. But when it, it is working, it sounds incredible. It's such a good amp. I can't recommend uh, checking that company out enough, and I can't wait to bring that one on the road soon. And I've been using a, uh, the old Vox AC30 recently, which sounds so fucking good. And in fact, I think I'm going to switch out one of the deluxe reverbs with the... Well, I am going to switch out one of the deluxe reverbs with an AC30. Did you survive? I don't know anything you just said. It's just amps, you know? <laughs> Guitar amps. Um, Niklas Wild. Another missing couple more files. How do you decide which festival to play? Did the organizers ask you or other way around? Um, 
The ones that pay the most. <laughs> Just kidding. Mostly. Are you? No, yeah, I am, I, am, I, am, I am kidding. I am kidding. But uh, yeah, it is a lot of times when we do a festival, it can help pay for a lot of the other shows that we do around it. So that's why we get to go to places like. Um, um, so you went to Spain? Uh, yeah, we went to Spain and played some of the smaller shows. We went to. Um, there's one place that we play constantly in the middle of the country, and I'm not going to say which state it's in because then they'll know that I forgot which city it is, and it's just on the tip of my tongue. But, uh, we, yeah, we've been able to anchor a lot of uh, uh, smaller tours on some of the bigger festivals that are, you know, pay us a shit ton of money, which is awesome. But the way that we get them uh, is our booking agent. So we have a booking agent, and what the booking agent does is is helps us. Um, they maintain communication between all of the different promoters at the different venues and festivals and us. They are, they, they broker it for us for lack of a better term. They uh, maintain those relationships for all the other artists that they have. So it kind of like works in their favor to maintain relationships with the promoters. And some, when we first starting out, sometimes we would get paid more because of the booking agent we were working with, who's Phil, uh, uh, who's one of our best friends and has been with us since the beginning. He's fucking incredible. And Tom Taft. Um, but yeah, Phil, they'll maintain those relationships. They organize it. They negotiate the contract terms and they, um, handle it for us. These days we, we very actually rarely even get paid for the show on the spot. We'll, they broker it all through like deposits. So it's very, it's very awesome for us that we don't have to spend the time doing that. And they're also very, you know, they do it all. They do it all day. They are able to strategize and have a working knowledge of, of how that works better than, than we could. Uh, some people make the argument that in this day and age, you should just do it yourself. I do not want to spend all day. We don't want to spend all day tied to our phone or computer answering emails with someone on a 40 day tour because of a, a contract change. That's not, not interested. And then the way that we pay them is a percentage of the money that we get paid for the shows goes to the booking agents. So when it comes to the festivals, they kind of usually are like, hey, we'll take a couple of bands from this uh, agency. We'll take a couple of bands from this agency. Um, that can work that way sometimes, but oftentimes it is like a curated lineup where the festival organizers are a fan of our band or they um, think that we would be good to be on it. So that hope that answers that. Uh, Keem asks, what are your favorite guitar effects pedals? I love them all. I'm not even gonna get specific. I'm just gonna say I really like delay a lot because of the coloring that it can do and kind of how much more like uh, wild you can make the guitar sound. It's like really powerful. But these days I've been really into chorus, like a subtle chorus that um, specifically I use a Seymour Duncan Catalina right now. And that just gives the, a subtle color to the tone. That just makes it so cool. It fits better in, in the mix that we have. It fits better with a all of the single note leads that I play and some of the arpeggio leads that I play, which oftentimes a lot of leads I do are just kind of arpeggiated chords. Um, yeah. So that answers that. Chorus, my favorite right now. Uh, did I skip this one? No. Oh, okay. The A Harrison 9, what's your least favorite chord to finger? I have no like uh, 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 sexual chord joke <laughs> off the top of my head. I'm kind of ashamed of that. But uh, weird way to ask it. I guess not really. You could say phrase. But my least favorite to this day is playing a full major bar chord that starts on the A string because cause fuck that stupid chord. Hate it. Yeah. Fuck that chord. You know what? I'm 
33 Fuck it with your old. finger. Yeah, fuck it with your finger. <laughs> Fuck it with your finger. That's just what I do. I fuck it up all the time. I make the high E string dead. I've been playing guitar for 20 years. I uh, I actually, I'm 33 years old. I don't have to even play that chord if I don't want to. Bam. <laughs> oh, here you go. This leads in perfectly. Uh, ugly Hooker. <laughs> One of the, uh, that was a, an Instagram name when asks, why the firebrand Les Paul? Why the fuck not? My favorite guitar right now. I play uh, 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 the Paul from, uh, I think it's 1982 that I, or 1981 that I got at Emerald City Guitars in, in Seattle. Fucking love it. Uh, he also has favorite gear-related horror story. I definitely don't have a favorite gear-related <laughs> horror story because they're horror stories and it sucks. Um, how about I just tell you about the time that I pooped my pants on stage. <laughs> that counts. <laughs> that counts, right? That's my body definitely gear. gear. <laughs> Uh, we were playing at a like Best Buy, essentially Best Buy Theater. I think it was attached to a Best Buy. Maybe I just made all that up. I don't know. Is this one in New York? No, it was in a shed in Fargo in 2010. And <laughs> by shed, wasn't I mean like the Best Buy Theater. <laughs> I, no, it wasn't the Best Buy Theater. But I think it was a shed, and the corner of the shed was a Best Buy. I don't know. I could be just this whole thing could have been a dream. I don't know. But uh, yeah, there's a part of an old song that we had that we used to play all the time where I played. It was like a guitar interlude. It was just me, and it was a cutout in the middle of the song, and I put my pants right during then. Oh, in front of the audience? In front of the audience. It was when we were on tour with the Gaslight Anthem. Was this when you were food poisoning? uh, Yeah. Yeah. Because I didn't have the control. Of your sphincter that you have now? I see. Yeah, so that's why, I mean, it had to be food poisoning because you can't just, you know. I think it counts as food poisoning if you lose control. Oh, so you don't know for sure. Well, that. yeah. What, how do you, I don't know. Do they, do they take a blood test and make, oh, there's your, your food antibodies. I mean, I pooped my pants once too. Didn't you, wasn't it kind of like a short situation? Yeah. 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 I'm glad how it only took like a glass of whiskey and <laughs> an hour for us to get into the, to the poop pants thing. <laughs> I feel closer to you now. I'm closer to everyone listening to this. It's like exposing yourself. It's freeing. Yeah, that was uh, while we were on tour with with the Gaslight Anthem, who were one of the one of our favorite bands at the time. We ripped them off constantly, and they were a huge influence, still are. And uh, they were one of the first bands that took us on tour, and that was that was really cool. John Murphy was with us; he was tour manager. It was sick. All right, where are we at? Oh, my friend Jenna Illuminati, Jenna bass player from Daddy Issues, uh, formerly of Daddy Issues, works in Nashville. I uh, hope you're doing well. If you're listening to this, hope everybody that you know down there is okay. Uh, she asked a couple questions. Let's see. If you could choose any animal in the world to be your sidekick, what animal will be and why? Good question. Some kind of monkey. Chimpanzee. Because I feel like that would be the most, the one that could travel with me the most. Mm -hmm. It could steal. Mm -hmm. Chimpanzees are strong. Could probably beat people up for me. (laughs) And they live long, so I'll have plenty of time to be sad (laughs) before I'm sad that they die. Would you let it sleep in the bunk with you? Fuck no. (laughs) It's a stinky ass monkey. No way. (laughs) Plus, it's hard to sleep to yeah. barger things. And yeah, totally, especially a bumps. monkey. <laughs> Fuck that. I mean, maybe it would be nice and cuddly, but I don't know. I'm not into it. Or maybe sometimes we could sleep in the bunk together. He's really using this all as a euphemism for me that he doesn't want me to sleep. Yeah, I don't want you to sleep in the same bed as me. No way. It's awesome. We also, I think we should tell everybody the cool hack that we came up with. We have a queen size bed, but we bought a king size blanket. No more fights over no the No more fighting. It was fucking awesome. I think I read it on Reddit somewhere. Uh, what's my favorite aisle in the grocery store? I've got to say the produce aisle. Yeah. So many colors and shapes. 
you don't feel bad about anything you get in the produce aisle. You know, there's like no guilt associated with it. Like the most unhealthy thing is beets. That's They're not ground fucking candy. true. No, beets are delicious and amazing <laughs> and everyone should eat them all the time. God damn it. This again, fucking beets. And that's also where all the mushrooms are. Yes, of course. So by, by default. Um, and last, what's your favorite quarantine activity? <laughs> We've been watching <laughs> McMillions. Yeah, McMillions is a great show. And drinking. We've been doing some face <laughs> FaceTiming. Yeah. Which is really cool and talking. Doing this has been probably my favorite thing so far. Hell yeah. A productive activity together. Our first one in Our four first days. One. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've had some serious fights. I think that maybe we can address here. Like oh, how awkward. <laughs> like how we've instituted a quiet time. <laughs> and how you, you watch- listen to podcasts on full blast all day. Not all day. No, we got to do music. Not during stuff. quiet time. Not during quiet time, that's for sure. And we agreed that the trade off would be you can't watch any shows that take place in high schools. <laughs> that was not agreed upon. Uh, no, we're doing good. Oh, uh, yeah, I think we're doing good. One thing I did uh, say to Georgia, Eric's wife, today that I was trying to cohabitate harmoniously. Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. It takes effort, but it's worth it. It is worth it. I think it's worth it. Uh, my sister Sarah asked, dog or cat? Oh, like dogs or cats? And I That's really hard. I know, but I think I have the answer okay. because early stages when we realized that we were going to have to self-isolate, especially after I was in the <laughs> Petri dish, and Greg had yelled at me the whole time in LAX because I kept touching the escalator handle. Oh, babe. I didn't want to get sucked under the escalator. Yeah, I almost uh, got sucked in the escalator with the shopping cart today. The big old lady you, cart. You at took Target. a shopping cart. On the no, escalator. the tar- the big push cart. Oh, we do have an old lady push cart, like a city push cart. Yeah, because I was trying not to touch anything. I mean, so I almost fell over it. See, that's what I was trying to avoid. <laughs> Fair. But uh, yeah, now we're self isolating. Um, mum, 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 mum. Oh shit! Where was I with that? That was eating James. Oh yeah, <laughs> you knew where it was going. So dog or cat? I had to Google. You know, if it comes down to it, do we eat the dog or the cat first? And came back dog. So sorry, Jameson. See so you looking at me. You're sleeping but right JJ's there. But JJ's older. JJ's older. Doesn't taste as good, probably. And one JJ eat us if we die. JJ would eat us if we die. And if you there's don't, there's a lot going on here. Yeah, think. there's a fact about that too that I could say that I'm not going to say. Yeah, please don't. I won't. Thanks. Uh, Toby Jake knows it. If Toby Jake's listening, good thing we he doesn't live in Philadelphia anymore. I know. But he asked me, uh, "Did you ever think it would be the pandemic?" I always thought it would be the Germans, which is a joke because Toby's family are from Germany. And also not a joke, because I assumed it would be the Germans, too. <laughs> At some club, I just get asked to death after a show, because <laughs> Germans ask a question. That was a bad joke. I mean, I'm also German, so you are. back. Your uh, mom's maiden name's Nighthammer. Nighthammer. And I just gave away every password to every bank. Shit. Uh, just every security question. Uh, but I love you, Toby. Uh, friend Sarah Kay asked, when did you get the photography bug? So I always liked photography and this is, I think is a good question for, or a good thing to talk about for people who are currently finding themselves with lots of free time inside. Uh, I love photography. I'd never been too into visual arts. I'd always had like a thing in my mind where I kind of, um, just didn't have the self-confidence to try anything. Uh, but I always liked photography. I always respected it. And there's a company called Coursera that I've taken some classes with before. 
they basically kind of they they aggregate college classes and put them online for free, and they use like an AI system kind of where it pulls from the lesson to give you multiple choice and essay answers to stuff, and then you do projects, and they are um, graded by like TAs and people that or your peers. Uh, so I took a five-course specialization offered in conjunction with Michigan State University. It was a certificate program in photography on Coursera, and it fucking was so sick. It's completely changed my life. It's given me a new artistic outlet. It's changed the way that I look at songs and songwriting, and it's just so cool. Just learning the vocabulary to be able to – it gives you the ability to see things differently. And also just like the mechanics of the camera. It's like a whole new world, you know? I love it. That's how it happened. And uh, you're my glam Instagram photographer. I'm your now. glam Instagram photographer. Oh man, there's an account someone just sent me called Insta Influence, Influencers in the Wild. It's real fucking funny. If you have Instagram, you should check it out. It's pretty funny. It's like, you know, people sticking their ass out and getting taken away by waves and just like doing Instagram influencer modely posty stuff in completely inappropriate places. Uh, it's pretty fucking funny. Man, we're run- we're getting down there in the questions. Love it. Since you're doing so well at knowing which ones you did yet or not. Yeah. I was crossing them off, you know, in a, in a what? Uh, oh, so Max Stern asked me, good friend, great artist, um, solo artist, and also plays in uh, Signals Midwest. He asked, how do you break through creative blocks? I have found that the best way for me to break through creative blocks box as of the last couple of years is to go and look at and experience other creative outlets. So every time we go to the museum, it's always a big fucking kicker for me. Uh, going to the Ritz to see movies that are a little bit more out there is always really nice. Um, going on an actual trip is huge. Like when I wrote, had written that song, The Freaks, I went up to Augusta and Matt's cabin, well, house in the Poconos where they had all this recording equipment set up and they had a, a studio in the barn there. And I just spent three days there on that trip and, and being shaken out of my element and routine allowed me to kind of break into a new headspace and, and wrote the entire song there that weekend. Um, yeah. So experiencing other people's art is always really inspiring for me and it really helps me shake out of the creative, the creative block. And sometimes I feel like I could force it, you know, uh, I believe I was talking to Greg about this a bit. You just kind of, you just do it, do it, do it, do it. It's like the, the Stephen, you just read that Stephen King book, right? Mm-hmm. For those of you who don't know, Beth Ann's currently getting her master's in um, creative writing. So we've had some cool conversations about creativity and storytelling and, and, and that shot. Yeah. But yeah, that uh, Stephen King's book on writing and in part of it, he drives home the idea of putting in the hours can be very helpful. So I think that sometimes when I have a creative block, if I just do it and do it and do it, it, it gets somewhere. And, well, if I can have a say in this. Just, yeah, that's where you're, you're yeah, producer, I, co-host. Uh, one thing I learned in my first few terms of school is to not ever throw anything away that you do if you think it's bad, because it could come back and be something that you can actually use for something. Like, when you revisit it, you'll look at it differently. Um, I can so, attest to that yeah. for sure. Like I mean, there's so sure many songs. Yeah, there's so many melodies uh, that I've pulled from five years previous on my cell phone that ended up being great uh, that we ended up using on records and shit like that, you know, in it. Um, Eric BPT says, uh, interested in scale for musicians and how COVID is affecting planning. Mm. 
Uh, all right, sorry. Interested in economics of scale for musicians and how COVID is affecting planning. Um, regarding economies of sale, if I'm understanding correctly, is kind of like a uh, scale, not sale, uh, is by increasing the amount that you do something like the, the production or like, you know, whatever, if you're making fucking watches or something, you can drive down the cost of making those watches because you have like a nicer machine or whatever. I think, I think that's kind of, well, I'm just going to go on that premise. Uh, so for us getting big, I think it reaches a point where, uh, it, the, the curve would spike up exponentially because it doesn't cost, if you're getting, talking about just say the sales of digital music, it doesn't cost anything at all. Uh, so each time that the you know, ones and zeros are replicated and, and there's a, like a monetary transaction to get that or to experience that, that, you know, infinitely just continues to go because it didn't cost, you can't cost any more money to make it. Um, so I guess it's kind of like an experiential thing rather than a, um, product or business thing. Um, for us, like, uh, the bigger shows that we play, the more money we end up spending on the shows because we hire more people to take care of, uh, the, different responsibilities that uh, come along with playing the bigger shows. We, have to, we spend more on transportation because we have to get there earlier. Uh, and we really, you know, we want to be more comfortable. So we'll get, we've got a tour bus a couple times now and that's been really fucking cool, but it is, you know, by far the biggest expense that we have. Um, if, if you're, you know, looking at the band as a business, which essentially it is our, our company and our business. Um, yeah. So like, you can't, it's not like making something to sell though, or like making an experience for people to have, cause there's the subjective nature of what we're really doing. And that's, it's, is making the song. So I think that you could look at it as a hard economic situation, which you should in some regard, otherwise you're going to make decisions that you fucking go broke on, um, or you can't make a living off of it, or you just kind of like piss it away. Or you can go the far extreme too, though. And you, you look at it solely as a business and, and you can, um, while you're concentrating on certain parts of the business, part of it lose the focus on what you're actually doing. And what you're actually doing is, is kind of like is helping yourself and helping people with their life experience. You know, you're kind of uh, creating something that they can relate to. And yeah, it's, that's, we're bringing, when we do the touring, which is where we make money for the band, um, it's bringing all those people together in one room for a common reason and a shared experience. And that's, uh, you know, something that we, we don't take lightly. And as far as, man, we kind of, we would rather hire our friends and be more comfortable than uh, kind of increase the like profit margin in a lot of cases. Uh, and that's pretty fucking cool that we can go on tour with, you know, sometimes we're in our touring party, there's like 10, 11 people sometimes, and it's really fucking cool and it feels really good. Um, yeah, I really, really like that. And as far as how, how COVID is affecting planning, it is... It's, I mean, it's been extremely damaging um, to the music industry. Um, I know that we haven't fully worked out exactly what's going on with our tours now, but we know lots of people. We had to cut one tour short. Thankfully, it was only a couple of days, uh, and it wasn't a lucrative tour for us to and our crew to be making a living on that part of it. So we were very, very lucky in that regard. But a lot of people had to, had to cancel at the very beginning of massive tours, losing you know, half their income for the year and won't go. And the idea, sure, you can postpone it, but that's uncertain as well. We're all in this um, situation together where it is completely uncertain. It is, you know, it makes sense that this would be, in this particular situation, one of the main things to go for two reasons. One, it's the, 
the one way that you're going to get the disease or the, the, the one thing that we can do to control the spread of this virus. And that is to uh, social distance and limit um, these events and situations where people would be likely to spread it to each other all at once and then overwhelm the healthcare industry and, um, you know, put people at high risk situations in extreme danger. So yeah, of course you can't be having sweaty shows where everybody's wasted and touching each other. And it's just, it's just ridiculous. Um, and the other part is that the arts as a whole and the arts in this particular situation, these kind of like niche punk rock, you know, music, or, well, I guess it is all music. So I'll, I'll backpedal a bit on that, uh, is going to be one of the first things that goes in any time of economic, um, struggle and hardship like this. So it's, it's not essential is what I'm saying. It's not like if people, it's not something that people have to spend their money on, whereas food, rent, medicine, um, clothing, those kind of things are going to go first and people's budgets. So you're not going to have a lot of loose income to pay. In our case, some of our ticket prices are $30. You know, it's like, it's a, a good chunk of change if you make fucking, you know, not, not enough, enough money to begin with. Um, we're starting to see a lot of those things, you know, things are catching up today in Pennsylvania, as I mentioned before, the non-essential businesses are closed starting at 8 PM, uh, which was a, a few hours ago. Um, so that's how it has affected us so far. In fact, while we were in Australia, I remember when that, the first day that the, uh, the Dow lost so much, uh, we went down like, I don't know, 10 or 20% or something like that. The first three biggest losers before it hit the 7% pause. I think that when the market began to crash, they have these like stop gaps. So if the market, um, the stock market crashes like 7%. It stops trading for a certain amount of time to allow a regroup or whatever. And then it'll hit another one if it hits another percentage. So I think that when the first one hit, the three biggest losers was Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines, uh, Norwegian Cruise Lines, and Live Nation. And for those of you who don't know what Live Nation is, it is a live event uh, company um, that owns a lot of the venues in your town, puts on a lot of the events, puts on a lot of, uh, concerts. And yeah, that was like a, you know, huge, huge loser immediately. And I think that was kind of a sign of, of that situation. Yins now, man. Um, do you want to tell them about your idea you had last night in a little ray of hope? Oh no. So, <laughs> oh, so I have a, an idea and we've been uh, talking about it with Tim, our manager and our band all day. Oh, I didn't know it was for serious. If you don't want to say it. Yeah, it's for real. I don't want to say it. Okay. I, I want, I don't want to say it because I want it to be a big surprise and I don't want yeah. anybody to steal it. Yeah. Not fair. that anyone would so steal fair. it. Actually, I kind of do want everyone to steal it because it I think it would be so fun for everyone. If we don't do it, I'm definitely going to uh, say it. It is like a ray of hope for, for a cool alternative to a show. Uh, I watched Dropkick Murphy's on St. Patrick's Day here. That was fun. I really needed that. That was really fucking cool. Um, Casey Magic. Is this, I think this may be the last question. No, I'll hit, I'll hit some of the Corona questions to wrap to make a little sandwich. Make a little right, Corona sandwich. But baby got to go to bed soon. Oh, uh, we've been going for a while, huh? It's 1110. Damn. All right. That's cool. Even though podcasts are timeless. I must really like listening to, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they are timeless. <laughs> must love listening to the sound of my own voice. I do. That was the that was the joke. Was the uncertainty? Ha, I clearly do. Ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha. Uh, so Mike Casey asked me. Uh, Casey Magic um, asked me. Tell me about that PA UFOs book. Any good ones? So I had posted a picture on Instagram of me reading um, a book called Radical Acceptance by Tara Brock, and also my on my Kindle the UFOs over Pennsylvania book that I bought that I haven't started yet. But it would say funny that you should ask because while we're making the most of our time here at home, I want to do an experimental podcast where I tell some of my favorite stories after reading them. 
you know, all like some of those true crime shits that you listen to. Yes. You know? Yes. You know, like the like the monotone Australian guy who talks about people disappearing in Australia? Case Was file. It? Case file, yeah. So I'm going to do some shit like that, but with my favorite UFO uh, stories. And, yeah. you know, if anybody has any good ones that they maybe you wouldn't want to talk to me about with, come on the podcast, do it. But I think the first one I'm going to do is the Kecksburg UFO crash mm. from the 1960s uh, outside of Pittsburgh. And that is in there. So I think I'm going to research oh. that, tell that story. Some connections are being made in exactly, my mind. Exactly, right? things that you've been talking about yeah. recently. <laughs> they actually do a, uh, like a UFO festival thing at the end of July. My friend Shannon has been there and she was telling me about it. And it sounds really cool and I would love to go. So if you want to drive a couple hours, five hours with me to Western Pennsylvania to the middle of nowhere. You're shaking your head. Yes. It's kind of like a half well, yes, but your like, lips say no. We can't plan on a time yet to do that because we... I will break through the Pennsylvania National Guard. <laughs> but also, I'm like, is he going to kill me there? Or That's interesting that that would wear your mind. I wonder if because you listen to all of those true crime podcasts, that yes. would be why... Yeah, he's going to kill me at the UFO convention that he or made a joke about. Or will I kill about. him there? That's more likely. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but I, I plan on uh, telling some of those stories as a form to like change up the format of the podcast a little bit. I think that'll be a lot of fun. And I also want to have, uh, I'm just going to try to do as many of these as I possibly can and have as many people on. So if you want to come on, you're my friend. I get a lot of people who are like, hey, can I be on your podcast? And I'm like, cool, what, like why? And then just like, well, I don't know. I don't. You know, I'm sure they have a great life. Everyone has a wonderful life story, but I don't want to talk to someone I don't know that doesn't do something cool or have a cool background of something. Damn it. Stuck a mean hole. Basically, don't waste my time. I was going to say, today on Future Friday, Joe Schmo won. Yeah, Joe exactly. Schmo two. Like, like one guy kind of let me on. I was like, oh, that'd be cool. And I was like, all right, cool. So what's your, you know, what's your deal? And he was just like, yeah, I don't know. I work at, you know. I work at like, I'm like a mid-level sales manager at whatever. I'm like, oh, so we would talk about that. And he's like, no. I'm like, oh. And I didn't, I didn't email him back. <laughs> but a couple people uh, got coming up, a lot of musicians and shit like that. But I would love to um, even do some short ones. But back to some of these, let's end it up with the COVID one. I can't, uh, so I was thinking about how this all feels like a paradigm shift, uh, a little bit more in slow motion than something that I experienced when I was in high school uh, in 2001, which was the September 11th attacks. So that was the last time that I can remember such a shift in um, the collective consciousness that I could feel and see around me where you see oh, there's a lot of uncertainty in the air. There was a lot of economic uncertainty. There was the housing crisis in 2008, but... I was pretty hammered when that happened, I got to admit. No, that was actually when we moved to Philadelphia. So that was in, we moved in like July. It happened in October and, or September, October. And then, you know, the economy was completely fucked. But it was a situation where we all shared. It was it was a lot of fun. And I look back at it now very fondly romantically. But back to the, 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 the tragedy and the uncertainty, we have a situation that is global now. And with the connectedness that we have through social media and through different aggregating sites like Reddit and Instagram and, and, and uh, the curated accounts that pull these things and the way that we share them and these memes that roll through. Actual memes and also the, like, you know, joke baby, like meme memes, like internet memes, not just cultural memes. Um, the, I can't remember any other time where this big of a shift had happened. And it seems like in this darkness, uh, in this very bad situation, there is an opportunity um, for us to 
reframe and redo a lot of the things that we do as far as the way that the environment is treated, uh, seeing the reduction in pollution in China, as well as the even like the clearing up of the canals in Venice. Um, these are just manifestable effects that we can see that are now planted in our, our consciousness. Um, they're talking about universal basic income, not just uh, old, old Andrew Yang, my boy, Yang Yang, uh, uh, who talked about this during the Democratic primaries, but both sides of the aisle, as to say in Congress, are talking about supplying people in America with universal basic income, like a, uh, a situation where you get $1,000 cash, no strings attached to help you out. And I think that that could create a situation if its economic effects are immediately um, shown to work, like why would, you know, we're going to do it again in the future. I think that the healthcare situation in the United States after this long road ahead, as long as I just dropped the pen, <laughs> after this long road ahead, uh, at the end, I don't think that we can come out without being like, Hey, this is needs to be fixed. Like we are fucked. Uh, I believe there's something like 2.8 or three, uh, beds per 1,000 people in the United States, which is really low. I think uh, our hospitals, I read, uh, normally operate at a 65 or 70% capacity all the time already. So with the surge in cases, if the social distancing doesn't have the effects that we hope for, it could cause huge problems like you see in Italy with triaging of, um, of people. We don't have the same culture in China where we are willing to make the political and social sacrifices to do you know you're not gonna be fucking welding people in buildings here they're gonna shoot back you know it's like we don't have that same kind of like a, a authoritarian uh, possibility and i think that we could have a you know bad problems on the rise but in this is going to be opportunities for us to kind of redraw a lot of the institutions and a lot of the mindsets that we have towards things and towards each other and i think we're going to really have to rely on each other especially as um you know unemployment rate can jump as high as it has the potential to and just think of all the good corona albums that are going to come out you know all these musicians at home just uh banging away on ableton and shit <laughs> <laughs> all the corona babies they'll be like the next generation That's what I was thinking about. <laughs> that'll be the second hospital surge <laughs> <laughs> nine months from now hey well oh. um but yeah i i do feel that we have an opportunity to uh make some good out of this and I would ask you to do what we've been trying to do, and that is check in with people that you haven't seen in a little while. Not to just check in and be like, how you doing? You know, or like, are you okay? Just, but just, just to check in and talk, you know? Like, uh, it, can, it can really go a long way. Not to uh, have the expectation of like, oh, well, it's commiserate. It could just be like, hey, you know? You did something really cool uh, with the pals the other day. You guys used, what was it, Google? Hangouts. The Quiplash thing? Yeah, what tell yeah. what what you guys do? Um, we got on Google Hangouts and one and a couple, one person had was running the Quiplash, which is like a game on the TV. Yeah, it's like mad libs. And you can go you can play with your phone, so we could all play remotely and look at the Google Hangout. But we were also all on video with each other. Just wanna throw a shout out to Ben's Beans. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and I but I also uh, chatted with friends on FaceTime for before that, so I was social all Saturday night while still being at home for like three or four hours. It was yeah, dope. I have a feeling we're gonna get into a lot of that in the next month or so. Hopefully, a month or so. Knock on wood. You say we, but I might kill you. You might before. kill me before then. That's true. Then, so yeah, for listening to podcasts <laughs> on my phone. A lot of times, I I mean honestly, I just take it, play it, and stick my phone in my back pocket. 
I could see how that would be really annoying. Because if you were watching a British TV show that took place in American high school. Or working. Or working. <laughs> oh, yeah, you are working every day. Yeah, I'm working nine hours or more a day. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. But, yeah, thank you so much for being on the podcast with me. We also, I think I might say it just so we said it in stone. Yeah. You and I are going to work on a story. Yeah. I'm super podcast. into true crime podcasts. Yeah. So, and my, I'm a journalist in background and in practice, I guess. And yeah. going to do something like that. Yeah. Soon. There's a particular story that we are, uh, that I've been interested in my whole life that I think that we are going to tell. Yeah. And it should be a whole lot of fun for us to work together. It's going to be dope. It's going to be so dope. Yeah, it's going to be so dope. You hear they're sending people home from the shore? Fuck off. I'm sorry. I won't do that again until the next podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if you're uh, one of those kids from Delco down in Miami right now, please come home. <laughs> Cut that shit out. <laughs> Have fun. Uh, I'm going to actually put some of those things in the show notes, like uh, the Cookie and Kate article and stuff like that. And I want to thank you guys so much for sending in the questions. This has been so fun. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Oh, and uh, for, for the end, I actually reached out to Roswell Kid today to ask if we could play their Enya cover because uh, after, I don't know if you remember, but after 9-11, they banned so many songs from the radio and they basically just played the Pure Mood soundtrack <laughs> while people kind of just floated <laughs> through their lives accepting their new reality. So in a, in a tongue-in-cheek honor to that, uh, here's Roswell Kid covering Enya.
Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is a rock and roll city for sure. Yeah! The Wrath of the Buzzard. WMMS. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts.